0: are listening to the relevant truth podcast my name is roger mason this podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth the bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives thus the title relevant truth the bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets it is also timeless truth which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century it is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. The intro and outro music on this podcast was produced by Brent Mason and has been used by permission. The Relevant Truth podcast can be accessed by going to Podomatic or iTunes and searching for Relevant Truth or Roger Mason. I have linked these to Facebook for the benefit of my Facebook friends. To automatically receive future podcasts, I suggest that you subscribe to the podcast. The plan is to release an episode every two weeks. I have just completed episode nine, so there are at least seven more episodes coming your way. In today's podcast, episode 2, we want to look at John chapter 15, abiding in the vine and fruitfulness. The big idea here is that there is a relationship between fruitfulness and abiding. Fruitfulness results from abiding. For the Christian, fruitfulness really doesn't come any other way. So let's look at John chapter 15, reading verses one You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. This is the last of the great I Am passages found in John. Jesus claims, I am the bread of life in John 6. I am the light of the world in John 8 and 9. I am the Door in John 10, I am the Good Shepherd also in John 10, I am the Resurrection and the Life in John 11, I am the Way, the Truth and the Life in John 14 and then in John 15 I am the True Vine. This passage of scripture is an allegory. An allegory is a literary technique found in both the Old and the New Testament. An allegory is a story that uses an extensive amount of symbolism, and this text definitely fits that description. One dictionary definition says that an allegory is a story in which the characters and events are symbols that stand for an idea about human life. A good example of an allegory would be John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, first published in 1678. Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory of the spiritual journey that a Christian makes. The story is about a pilgrim named Christian who leaves the city of destruction in search of the celestial city. The entire book is an allegory about the struggles and trials and experiences that a Christian faces from conversion to death. John Bunyan was a man familiar with trials, having written this book from a prison cell. So let's look at the symbolism in our text. First of all, the vine is Jesus. It says clearly in John 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine. And in verse 5 it says, I am the vine. The vine dresser is the father. In John 15 and verse 1 it says, my father is the vine dresser. The branches are the disciples. It says again in John 15 verse 5, you are the branches. The fruit is not explicitly defined in this passage, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. The fire is God's judgment. John 15 verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And the pruning is cleansing. John 15 verses 2 and 3, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. First notice that Jesus defines himself as the vine. In John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine. If you look in Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7, Israel is depicted there as God's chosen vine in which he would lavish care and attention. But in John 15, Jesus presents himself as the true vine in place of Israel. Secondly, notice that the fruit is not explicitly defined in this passage, even though the fruit is a major theme found in this passage. There are many other scripture passages which help us to determine the meaning of fruit. We have already given you the example of Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7. So let's look at uh, verse 7. Uh, reading from the New Living Translation, it says this: This is the story of the Lord's people. They are the vineyard of the Lord Almighty. Israel and Judah are the pleasant garden. He expected them to yield a crop of justice, but instead he found bloodshed. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of oppression. What was God looking for from Israel? He was looking for the fruit of justice and righteousness from Israel. God was looking for the character and the deeds of justice and righteousness. This will help us to understand what John 15 means when it requires fruit-bearing branches. In Isaiah 5, the fruit represented one's character demonstrated by one's actions. There are two major ideas that emerge from this passage in John 15. The first is fruitfulness. Fruit is mentioned eight times in John 15. The second major idea is abiding. Abiding is a favorite topic of John's throughout his Gospels and also in his epistles. Abiding is mentioned 11 times in John chapter 15. 40 times in the Gospel of John, and 27 times in the Epistles of John, we find this word abide or abiding. There is clearly a relationship between fruitfulness and abiding, according to John 15. Fruitfulness is the result of abiding. So let's talk about fruitfulness, and the first thing that we notice as we read this passage is that God expects us to be fruitful. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit, John 15, verse 2. Then John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The first commandment that God gave mankind in the Bible is recorded in Genesis 1 and verse 28. And that command is, be fruitful and multiply. God's original command to mankind was that he wanted mankind to be fruitful and multiply. And God wants that for the Christian. God wants the Christian to be fruitful. Fruitfulness should be a characteristic of every area of our lives. Our marriages, home, and family should be fruitful. Our relationships with others should be fruitful. And our spiritual life should be fruitful. God wants this for us as believers. God is not just looking for fruit, but he's looking for much fruit. This passage talks about no fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. No fruit in verses 2 and 6. God is displeased with no fruit. And fruit, also mentioned in verse 2, God prunes those branches with fruit because He wants more fruit. And then more fruit in verse 2. This is the ideal. More fruit branches is what God is seeking. And then much fruit, verses 5 and 8. The Father is glorified with much fruit. Verse 5 gives us the key to much fruit. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Fruitfulness is the result of abiding. God wants the Christian to be characterized by fruitfulness. In Isaiah chapter 5, we've already learned that fruit represents one's character. When the Bible talks about fruit, it is generally referring to our character demonstrated by our words and our actions. Let's look at some passages which support this whole idea. In examining all the scripture passages having to do with fruitfulness, I found five categories of fruitfulness. The first is the fruit of righteousness. James 3 and verse 18. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then Philippians 1 and verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. And then Hebrews 12 and verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. And then Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. In each of these scriptures, the fruit of righteousness refers to righteous character. Righteous character is demonstrated by our words and our actions. Secondly, there's the fruit of repentance. Matthew 3 and verse 8, Luke 3 and verse 8. They both say the same thing. Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. These are the words of John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached about the fruit of repentance. Let's read verses uh, 10 to 14. That gives us the context. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. Be content with your wages. And so we have three people groups that come to John the Baptist in response to his preaching and ask him what he means by the fruit of repentance. What should they do in order to demonstrate the fruit of repentance? To the rich man, he said, Give your tunic to him who has none, and give food to those that are hungry. To the tax collector, John said, Don't overcharge in taxes. To the soldier, he said, don't intimidate, falsely accuse, and be content with your wages. And so John gave them practical demonstrations of the fruit of repentance. When John the Baptist preached about repentance, he was talking about repentance that produced righteous character, demonstrated by righteous actions and righteous deeds. The third category is this. The fruit of your doing. Jeremiah 21 and verse 14. But I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings, says the Lord. Micah 7 and verse 13. Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it and for the fruit of their deeds. And then Isaiah 3 and verse 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. And then Proverbs 1 and verse 31. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way, and be filled to the full with their own fantasies. In these passages of scripture, the fruit refers to righteous character, demonstrated by one's actions or deeds. Our deeds or our actions expose our righteous character or they expose our unrighteous character. The fourth category is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then Ephesians 5 and verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit... Is in all goodness righteousness and truth these are all character traits demonstrated by actions and words how is love or joy or peace demonstrated by our actions and by our words how do we demonstrate any of the fruit of the spirit by our actions and by our words we love through loving words and loving actions We express joy through actions of joy, through words of joy. We express peace through words of peace, through a demonstration of peace. Each one of these fruit of the Spirit are demonstrated by our actions and by our words. And then the fifth category is the fruit from within a man. Luke 6 verses 43 and 44. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. You know a tree by its fruit. Good tree has good fruit. A bad tree has bad fruit. The fruit here refers to one's character demonstrated by his words and his actions. A good tree is righteous character. A bad tree is unrighteous character. And then Matthew 12 verses 33 to 35. This time I'm reading from the New Living Translation. A tree is identified by its fruit. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good words from a good heart. An evil person produces evil words from an evil heart. I love that scripture. It really tells it like it is. The emphasis in Matthew 12, verses 33 and 35, is not just about our actions, but it's talking about our words. If you look at verses 36 and 37, it talks about our idle words. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so this portion of scripture, Matthew 12, is talking about the importance of words. Our words demonstrate our character. Our words betray our heart. The Bible is talking about our character, our words, and our deeds as a tree and its fruit. Our character, words, and deeds really tell it all. They expose our heart. They expose what we are. Righteous words and righteous actions are going to come forth from that right heart. If we have a bad heart, then unrighteous words and unrighteous actions are going to come forth from that unrighteous heart. And then let's look at Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, Therefore by their fruits you will know them. The fruit of our life really tells it all. By their fruit you will know them. Take a good long look at the fruit of a man's life. The fruit of a man's life will expose his heart. If the fruit of a man's life is good, then it's coming forth from a good heart. If the fruit of a man's life is evil, then it's coming forth from from an evil heart. There is good fruit, there is bad fruit, and there is no fruit. Fruit refers to our character, words, and deeds. And to summarize what we've talked about so far, God wants us to be fruitful. The fruit God is interested in is a righteous character, and righteous character is revealed by our words and our actions. Something we need to talk about that concerns fruitfulness is pruning. Pruning is necessary in order to make a vine fruitful. Pruning is not a subject that the Christian really wants to hear about. But the Bible says that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The word prune means literally to cleanse. Here it means to cut away the dead wood. Often the Lord needs to cut away dead wood from our lives in order to free us up from those things that impede us in living our Christian life. These trials and difficulties in life make us more fruitful. So let's look at 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7, reading from the New Living Translation. So be truly glad There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests pure gold, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials and difficulties are going to come along in our life. It's just a part of us living in this world. The Bible says in Job 5.7, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Trials and difficulties are inevitable. They are a part of life. God uses these trials and difficulties in life to make us into a mature believer and a fruitful Christian. The Christian needs to understand this and cooperate with the Lord when these trials come. Why not let God use these times of difficulty to teach us the lessons that He wants us to learn? We need to face our difficulties with an attitude of surrender. What is the lesson that you want me to learn, Lord? Help me, Lord, to learn the lesson you are attempting to teach me. This should be our attitude when we face trials and difficulties in our life. Why? Because God will keep testing us until we learn the lesson. And who wants to go through the same lesson a dozen times? It took the children of Israel in the wilderness 40 years to learn some of the lessons that God wanted them to learn. They went around and around and around, wandering in the wilderness, not entering into the Promised Land, until they learned the lessons that God wanted them to learn. Now who wants to do that? So let's submit to God's pruning, understanding that it's God's purpose to produce in us fruit. We have learned that God expects us to be fruitful, and He prunes us so we can be more fruitful. But there's something even more fundamental then pruning in producing fruitfulness. And that's what we want to talk about next. Fruitfulness comes through abiding. So let's talk about abiding because it is the key idea in this passage of Scripture. John 15 verses 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Look at the relationship between fruitfulness and abiding. For the branch to produce fruit, it must abide in the vine. The two phrases, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, verse 4, and without me you can do nothing, in verse 5. This makes it clear that abiding is essential to fruit-bearing. Notice that the phrase, abide in me, is found three times in this passage. This points out the absolute necessity of abiding in Christ in order to produce fruit. The key to much fruit, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. In order to bear fruit, the branch must, we must remain connected and draw life from the vine. Abiding means to remain connected and to draw life from the vine. The Greek word meno is translated in various ways in the New Testament. 61 times it is translated abide, 16 times as remain, 15 times as dwell, 11 times as continue, 9 times as tarry, and then 3 times as endure. The word meno is used 11 times in John chapter 15. In the Old Testament, the word abide means to lodge, to spend the night, to dwell, to inhabit, to stay, or to remain. This word occurs over 1,100 times in the Old Testament. We cannot do anything on our own apart from Jesus. In other words, we cannot have any lasting effect or eternal results without abiding in Christ, because the Bible says, for without me you can do nothing, in John 15 and verse 5. Christians work hard to do many things for God because they genuinely want to bear fruit. They build large churches, they run powerful parachurch organizations, doing missionary work in third world countries, feeding the poor, building hospitals for the sick, running large evangelistic programs, and preaching and teaching in crusades all over the world. They are doing all these things for God, but unfortunately, they are not abiding in Christ. These things are all good, and we need to be doing these things. But what is wrong is an attempt to be fruitful by doing it entirely on our own, in our own strength, in our own flesh. A ministry driven by human effort lacks God's anointing. This is what happens when we fail to abide in Christ. Our Christian walk deteriorates into religious works and legalism. Rules and religion become the norm rather than relationship with Jesus. Paul rebuked the Galatians for this. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? That's Galatians 3 in verse 3 in the New Living Translation. Unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. That's Psalm 127 verse 1. The word labor used here in this verse is the Hebrew word Amal. It also is translated as trouble in other portions of scripture. The Hebrew word amal means to labor or to toil to the point of exhaustion. It pictures the exhausted state of the worker who are trying to build God's house without God's cooperation. They are building something for God, but he's resisting it. Ministries can be driven by human effort. God's people laboring for God, toiling to the point of exhaustion, genuinely wanting to be fruitful and to please God. Why do they do this instead of abiding in Christ? Why? Because it's a cultural lie that we've adopted. It's this cultural lie that drives us. Our culture has glorified independence, self-sufficiency, productivity, hard work and success. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. Except for when we are doing it independent from God. To work to the point of exhaustion, to strive for success, these are all cultural virtues that we think are Christian. We have adopted these cultural lies believing that they are Christian. The Bible teaches us the opposite. It teaches us a deep, abiding dependence and fellowship with Jesus. This does not involve striving or physical, mental, or emotional exhaustion. We are to abide in Him with utter dependence upon Jesus. Jesus is the source of our life. We have no life without Him. We are like dead branches, unable to bear fruit without Jesus as our source. The Bible teaches us that we are utterly helpless on our own, to get free from sin, to live the Christian life. We cannot do this apart from Christ in us. To be a Christian, we must rely completely and continuously upon Jesus. Jesus gave us the model of one who abides. Jesus was in constant contact with the Father. He always leaned on the Father. He always relied on the Father. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus only said what the Father told him to say. John 12 and verse 50 it says this, I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. John 5 and verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus modeled for us what it is to abide. Intimacy with Jesus must be our chief goal, and fruitfulness will follow that. Fruitfulness should not be our primary goal. We need to stop laboring and striving to be fruitful. Instead, we need to learn to abide in Christ. The branches of a vine cannot function independent of the vine. Isolation from the vine means death. Reject any type of independence from God, because it means death. What is the basic difference between religion and Christianity? Religion is doing, whereas Christianity is done. Religion is doing, doing things to please and get God's approval, Religious people seek to please and get God's approval by self-effort. But Christianity is done. Jesus did it all for us on the cross. There is nothing else to be done by you to be redeemed or received by God. It's not what we do, but it's what Christ has done. All we need to do is receive what he has done. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that's done it for us. Jesus did it all. He said it is finished on the cross. That means the redemptive work of Christ was done when he died on the cross for our sins. There's nothing that we can do to merit, to gain, or to get life in God. Christianity is done. Religion is doing if you are striving to please God by human effort, you are involved in religion. If you are attempting to be fruitful by human effort, you are involved in religion. If you are ministering to others by human effort, you are involved in religion. If you are working and toiling to be productive for God by human effort, you are involved in religion. We need to do all of these things in the strength enabling of Jesus Christ. We must learn to abide in Christ, utter dependence on him, continuous trust in him, complete reliance in him. He is the source of our life. I am the vine, you are the branches. He will bring forth the fruit. Without me you can do nothing. Abide in me, Jesus said it three times. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Lord, I know you require fruitfulness of me. I want to be obedient. I want to be the fruitful Christian that you want me to be. Forgive me for leaning on myself. Help me to abide in Jesus Christ alone. Amen.